Scripture reading is from Mark 2, 23-36. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, the disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing, or what, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Sorry. He said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? And he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even on even of the Sabbath. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around with, at them with anger and grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Ms. Blake. Well, um, so if you already haven't, you can open up your Bibles uh, to Mark uh, chapter 2. And um, it's been a while since I've been up here, three weeks actually, talking about Mark. Um, if uh, you were here last week, we obviously took a break from Mark, and, and we uh, went into Acts 17, talking about um, religion, religiousness, and how the resurrection pertains to that. And, and then um, the week before that, Tyler Johnson was here, and he talked about, um, well, he used fasting, but bas- basically explaining how Jesus, and as in his words, Jesus is the party. Jesus is the big deal. He's the reason um, that has always been and, and will always be. And so um, if you don't know, we've been going through the book of Mark, and we've been doing it verse by verse by verse, very intentionally, and here's why we're doing this. We started the book of Mark um, when we started this congregation, when we started getting together on Sundays, because we said, hey, we're going to start a church, and it's going to be about Jesus. Well, well, let's figure out who Jesus is. And so for us to do that well, we wanted to just go through the timeline of Jesus. And the, 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 the reason Mark is such a great gospel to do that is because as you read the gospel of Mark, I've said this every week, you read it and you recognize no one in the gospel of Mark knows who Jesus really is outside of the demons. So people are like, who is this dude, right? Except the demons, the demons recognize. So Jesus prime real estate for us to kind of go, well, who does Jesus say he is? And we found out he has this kingdom that is coming. We found out that he is God in, the tri- in, in, in Trinity. We found out that he is the son of God and he has the power and the authority to, to, to uh, remove demons and to heal lepers and to continue to go on. Um, and, and then we began to move into this, this kind of turn in Mark where we really began to get at something that we explained, which is legalism. We really began to start talking about something called religion. What is it? And, and, and that trend is going to continue this morning, okay? Now, here's the trick um, in this. This passage gets really um, odd for us, especially if you're new to Christianity and you don't know a lot about the faith. It's going to be really weird. And so, um, I, I mean, if you can think about this, I was trying to figure out how to explain this. If you can think of how you would try to explain a car to someone in the first century, like if you tried to describe um, a car to somebody in the times of the, of the Bible, um, you couldn't. You would have to describe things that would describe a car, right? You'd say, "Well, it has tires." 
what's a tire? Like a wheel? Yeah, well, it's a wheel, but it has rubber. What's rubber, right? And then, and then you, well, it has this, this engine that makes it go, what the heck is an engine, right? Well, it uses um, combustible, no, okay, um, met, no, um, okay, well, it has this hood, no. Okay, so you're trying, you would have to begin to describe little things to describe this big thing. Now, the reason I say that is, um, very intentionally this morning, and I'm super jacked about what we're going to talk about, we are going to go on a huge side tangent, okay? Very intentionally, because I've got to explain these smaller things for us to get the big thing of the text. We've got to be able to walk through certain things. And for a minute there, you're going to be like, what does this have to do with the text? But I promise, if I do it right and you stay with me, it will make sense in the end. Or we'll just waste our, our hour together. Um, okay, so um, here's how it's going to work. I'm just going to read, us, read through some text. I'm going to stop and explain, stop and explain. And we're going to only read two verses at first, and then we're going to talk for a long time, and then we're going to come back to our text. And I know we have a lot of Bible to go through this morning, um, but, but I promise uh, we'll get through it. So um, here's where it starts in verse 23. We're going to just read a little bit, stop, and then I'll explain. Here's how it starts in verse 23. One Sabbath. Okay, stop. Okay, now... Now, before we read this text, um, when I say the word Sabbath, um, I, 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 would, I would venture out to say that some of you have a somewhat similar idea to what Sabbath is. Maybe you guys have heard the term, um, but for the most part, maybe we don't know the full extent of what uh, uh, the Sabbath is. So, so here's uh, what I want to do. I want to explain the Sabbath, and then we're going to come back to this first. It's hilarious. It's, I'm freaking hilarious just to read two words and stop, right? Um, but... Um, Here's, here's where it starts, okay? Um, this is a big deal because this whole passage is about the Sabbath, um, but it's more than just the Sabbath. Okay, I'm super jacked. I just need to breathe. Just need to breathe, okay? Um, here, here's the deal. Genesis 1 and 2. God is making all things and making all things. The dude is busy. He's making birds. He's making flowers. He's making it all. Anything that is everything, the dude is making it. Now, um, you get to day six and he makes mankind. Now, after he's done making mankind, he says... Let's just chillax for a second um, because it's day seven and I want to rest. And he Sabbaths. The, the, the Hebrew word for Sabbath is Sabbat. It means uh, like to cease or to stop. So God stops doing what he's doing and he Sabbaths. He creates this day. And now we find out later on, maybe some of you know the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20. We find out later on that in Exodus 20, God is giving us the Sabbath and he's laying forward the Sabbath and he's saying just the, the same way that I stopped, I ceased from my work. Now we're going to, I'm going to give you a command to do the same. Okay. And so he makes this law, this rule for the Sabbath that you will not work on the Sabbath. So when we read one Sabbath, this is that day for the Jews. This is that day for the Jews. It was Saturday. Um, Christians later turn this to Sunday and we'll get to that later. But for the Jews, it was Saturday and they would take Saturday. And then there are these rules that basically God laid out and he said, I don't, I don't want you to work. And so here's what I mean. And he would lay out these general things that that he doesn't want. I don't want you making fires to do all the, the, to cook and stuff. I want you to just relax. And I want you to take the food, store up enough food on Friday to bring it on Saturday and just be for a little bit. Now here's the Sabbath. And on that Sabbath day, that, that, that day, one Sabbath, Jesus, he was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? So here's Jesus and his disciples. They're walking, uh, they're walking through grain fields and they're plucking grain. 
They'll be rolling it in their hands, and they're eating this grain. And the Pharisees, who continue over and over just to be around Jesus, they're watching him. Like, I mean, think of, like, you're just watching him in grain fields, right? So, like, they're just, like, what do you, who's in a grain field? It's just a weird picture in my mind. So they're watching him in a grain field. It's like, these dudes are creeping me out, okay? Um, and so as they're doing it, they go, why is he doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Now, um, to be very clear, Jesus is not doing anything that is unlawful. Matter of fact, Deuteronomy 23 verses 24 and 25 tell us that farmers, we, we should, well, not me, I'm not a farmer, but farmers should uh, allow grain or the crops or whatever it is for pilgrims or soldiers, people to walk through to be able to do what his disciples are doing. This is um, this would be similar like for us. You have change in your uh, little glove compartment or your cup holder, and there's a homeless man on the side of the street. You have this extra give, right? And so farmers are told the same way. You have this extra allow people, allow people who are wandering through your fields to enjoy. So Jesus isn't doing anything that's unlawful in that sense. But to the Pharisees, listen to what they say. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Okay. Now, this, this is a big deal because God has given laws. He has given commands to his people. Don't work. And the Pharisees said, you're not supposed to be working on the Sabbath. Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Now, here's our first side tangent. This makes us ask the question. Now, track with me, please. Why is God giving laws in general? Like, like why is he telling people to rest? And, and, and the way the Pharisees saw these laws is they took this and said, we shouldn't start a fire. And, and even now, I have a Jewish friend who, be, who wonders if he can drive on the Sabbath because when he starts his engine, it's, it's starting, technically starting a fire. And they add these, these rules and these boundaries around what God has given. So he says, don't, uh, don't work, rest. Okay, well, what does it mean to work? Well, so then they add steps. Uh, you know what? A uh, thousand steps would be considered work. 999 isn't work, but a thousand would be. And so what the Pharisees began to do, they began to add laws or traditions on top of these laws. And we've talked about this before. Now, the reason that's important is they're looking at Jesus saying, why is he not doing what is lawful on the Sabbath? What is unlawful on this Sabbath? Well, he's not doing anything wrong in this minute. He's doing something wrong based on the way they interpret the law, the way they've added to the law. And this forces us to go, well, why does God give us laws in the first place? Like, what is the point? And the Pharisees see these laws as something to conquer. Like, the Pharisees see, okay, it's a test. There's 600 laws. If I can get 600 laws right, then as long as I get all those rules right, then I'm good. And we've talked about this over and over. So I'm mailing you with religion, right? Over and over. But God gives laws for freedom. He gives laws for safety. Now, any theological Neat next in here, your mind immediately goes to Galatians 3, and maybe you don't know what I'm talking about, but if you have questions on that, I can come back to that. Okay, back to what we're talking about. Um, so, so God gives these laws, he gives us rules for a reason. So let's talk specifically about the Sabbath. Now, I, please try to track with me, because I, I promise this is going to get good. I don't suck this much. Um, okay, so listen, listen he, here's what he's doing. Um, he's going to talk about the Sabbath, and he's going to use the Sabbath to explain why God gives laws in general. So let's talk about the Sabbath for a second. Um, God would look at you and I and say, hey, listen, um, you know that company that you've given your life to. You know how you're working 60 hours a week, 70 hours a week, 80 hours a week. At the end of your time there, you're going to end up in the break room with some cake and ice cream with the words happy retirement taped on paper plates, and then that company is going to forget you. They're going to hire someone younger than you, maybe even better than you. And in 10 years, no one will know who you are. So kill yourself 
neglect your family and continue to walk down that road. But I'm telling you, it is not good for your soul. So I'm telling you, rest. You, you think you're busy? I'm upholding the universe by the word of my power. You think you have things going on? Imagine all the animals he could have created on day seven, day eight, day nine. We would have a liger, like just, you know what I'm saying? Like who knows what we would have, what fruits we would enjoy. God could have created all these things and in creating all these things, he says, no, I'll stop. Like for us to think that we continue to work and that we're better than God, God in his beauty, in his poetry, in his love, commands you to stop, rest, be. Take a day and say, I'm not going to do this. But, but I, once I get that degree, then I'll get that job, and then I'll be able to pray more, I'll read more, I'll be in community more. I, I just got to get this done, this test, this homework. I, I, I just got to do this one project at work. I just got No, you don't. They're going to forget who you are, bro. That company in 100 years probably won't even exist. Let's be straight. And if it did, ain't nobody knows your name. Yeah, I remember Bill. About 70 years ago, that dude entered numbers like nobody's business. Nobody's going to remember us. That, that's not, that is not the way that God has shaped us, right? But we want this plaque on the wall. We want this statue. But in the end, God says, that is not what it's about, man. Just stop. You've created a treadmill, and the speed in that treadmill is going to continue all of your life. And you can continue to say, it's a season, over and over. Uh, and when that time comes, no, that, that day will never come. Stop. Stop. And just be. And he gives us this in all of his poetry and all of his beauty and all of his love because he cares deeply about us. But the Jews have taken that and, and, and they've taken this, these rules that God has given for, for um, love and for beauty and for rest and they've taken it and they've been bound by it. So very specifically, um, let's talk about this because he's talking about Sabbath rest. Here, here's a way that you can see um, the poetry and rest. There's a, a quote by John Piper that I want to read to you and I think it's great and it's kind of long, but um, it's one of the best things I've ever uh, read on sleep specifically and in resting. And I want you to see the poetry and the beauty. So continue to track with me um, as we go through this because we're, we're uh, we got a lot to do still. This is what it says. Why did a God imagine sleep? He never sleeps. He thought the idea up out of nothing. He thought it up for his earthly creatures. Why? According to Psalm 127, too, sleep is a gift of God, and the gift is often spurred by anxious toil. Peaceful sleep is the opposite of anxiety. God does not want his children to be anxious, but to trust him. Therefore, I conclude that God made sleep as a continual reminder that we should not be anxious, but rest in him. Sleep is a daily reminder from God that we are not God. Once a day, God sends us to a bed like patients with a sickness. The sickness is a chronic tendency to think we are in control and that our work is indispensable. To cure us of this disease, God turns us into helpless sacks of sand once a day. How humiliating to the self-made corporate executive that he has to give up all control and become as limp as a suckling infant every day. Sleep is a parable that God is God and we are mere men. God handles the world quite nicely, while a hemisphere sleeps. Sleep is like a broken record that comes around with the same message every day. Man is not sovereign. Man is not sovereign. Man is not sovereign. 
Don't let this lesson be lost on you. God wants to be trusted as the great worker who never tires and never sleeps. He is not nearly so impressed with our, our late nights and early mornings as he is with our peaceful trust that casts all anxieties on him and sleeps. So, so the truth is, and I love how he lays this out, and I understand that rest does not equate to sleep, although after service today, I'm going home and taking a nap, okay? Um, but the, the truth is still the same. For you to recognize God gives you this rest, this stop, this one day where your phones are off, you're not checking your email, and you're just being to go, hey, guess what? The world's still going on Monday. Guess what? Like, just because you stopped for, for, for a day, you made it. And, and, and this is the beauty he gives this as, as, a, as a gift to us. And the Pharisees, I, I got to get it right. I, I got to get it right. And they look at Jesus and say, why are you doing what is not lawful? Why are you doing this? And Jesus looks at them and he gives a perfect response to, to, to what he's doing. Now, before we get to this response, this is a huge side tangent. I promise um, this is the last one, but this is a big one. Um, we have to have a conversation. So we've got to explain what tires are before we can explain what the car is. We have to have a conversation on what it, it means to follow Jesus Christ and what I mean every time I use this term legalism, but more importantly, what is faith and works? Like, like, what do these two things go together? So, so here's, here's what I mean. Um, maybe some of you guys know what the Ten Commandments are, okay? Like, if you open your Bible in Exodus uh, uh, 20, you can read through the Ten Commandments. Maybe some of you, like, you shouldn't lie, you shouldn't steal, you shouldn't commit adultery, you shouldn't covenant. you gotta, you got to uh, honor the, the Lord's name, keep, uh, don't use the Lord's name in vain, honor the Sabbath, as we just talked about. And, and maybe you kind of know some of them. Most of us probably couldn't quote all ten of them. Unfortunately, for a lot of us, we definitely could not quote all 600 of them that follow that. But there's these Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 that explain these things, right? And a lot of us know some of these, but unfortunately, when we begin to process the law of God, and this is the outside world looking at Christians going, it's a bunch of do's and don'ts. It's a bunch of things that God says you can't do and you should do. Why, Why does he tell us to do all these things? And we completely miss that the Ten Commandments starts in verse 3 of chapter 20. And there's two verses before this, and I want you to listen to what they say. You don't have to turn there. This is what it says. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then he gives the 10 commandments. So so, so this is why this is important. God looks at his people and says, hey, hey, before we get to what you've got to do, let's start with me. I'm the Lord of heaven and earth. I've made all things. And let's get something straight from the beginning. I saved you. And now I'm going to tell you to do some things. But let's remember this. First, I rescued you. You you were not in slavery conquering cats with your swords. No, no, that's not how it happened. You were whining, you were moaning, you were complaining, and I saved you. And so before we even begin to talk about laws and rules and Sabbath and and really begin to process this, the first thing we need to understand of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ is that faith is necessary. That we look at God and we go, I cannot obtain you. I can't do it right. But you have rescued me. You have saved me. And I have faith in that. But after that falls the Ten Commandments, doesn't it? After we recognize that God has saved us, work follows, doesn't it? And though faith is necessary, works are inevitable. Though faith is absolutely necessary, we find that, that works are inevitable. So, so here's, here's what I mean. Um, 
if you are considered, if you would consider yourself a Christian in this room right now, and you would say, I follow Jesus Christ, the only way you can make that declaration is if you truly trust in Jesus for your salvation. But the truth is, um, as much as I've hyped up this legalism boogie monster, the truth is there are things that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you will do. And if you are not doing those things, you are not a follower of Jesus Christ. There are things, there are works, there are fruits that respond. That is, is, is. So if I have a tree here and it's just producing apples, oh, and it's just this box of tree and we're looking at it and it's go, this thing's a lemon tree. And yeah, uh, it's, it's only producing, I know it's producing apples, okay? But I'm telling you when I bought it, I, I, I clearly bought a lemon tree. Well, well, maybe you bought the wrong kind of tree. No, I bought a lemon tree. No, but listen, bro, it's producing apples. It doesn't even look like a lemon tree. I understand that. You understand how silly that is? See, see, the trick in all of this is to understand you do not need to be perfect to come to Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ has made you perfect. So you trust in the fact that he has made you perfect. But once you're perfect, you will act in your perfection. You will always act as you are. So before, in your old life, you acted as you wanted. You did what you wanted. You dressed how you wanted. You, you, you uh, laid, laid with people you wanted. I was trying to figure out a good way to say that, but I just said it. Um, um, you hung out with however, whoever you wanted, right? So you did these things, but if now you consider yourself a Christian, your heart is changed, and now you act as you are. Perfect example, my, my daughter, Eve, two years old, running around um, our island in our kitchen, running around, and here's our community, just laughing. She looks ridiculous, right? But she's so cute. Oh my gosh, she's so cute. And she has brown eyes, and you just want to like squeeze her and shake her, um, okay? But that would be bad. Um, so she's going around, She's going around, and we're just cracking up, and, and uh, a guy, Dan, in our uh, community says, how silly would it be if, if we, like, if as an adult, we were doing what he was doing? And he's 6'8", and he has this mop for hair, and he stands up, and he begins to do what Eve is doing. He's like, ah! Okay? Ah! And he's running around, and now we're laughing, but we're not laughing for the same reason that we were laughing at Eve, because Eve was cute. Dan w- was weird. Okay? And, and, and we, we, we can look at that and go, listen, there was a day when it was okay to run around like that. There was a day when that was okay. But the 35-year-old in the kiddie pool is not okay. And so as Christians, as we follow Jesus Christ, we look at him and say, there was a day when I could have done that. But because I follow Jesus Christ, because he's done what he's done, I can't do that. I, I don't even want to do that anymore. These things are a response to our faith in Jesus Christ. So let, let me, um, let's get super real. Let me give you just an example by what I mean with faith and works, okay? Um, so um, you cannot continue to call yourself a Christian and over and over sleep with your boyfriend and girlfriend and think it's okay. You can't. If you continue to process this and continue to do this and casually shrug your shoulders at the fact, yeah, well, we're just not, and not put before you boundaries, not put people around you to go, I need help. I hate this. Jesus cannot be mixed with idols. You cannot do, let me, let me prove it to you. First um, Corinthians six, nine, 
Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither, neither the sexually immoral. 2 Corinthians 12, 21. I am grieved over many of you who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity and sexual sin. Galatians 5, 19. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Ephesians 5, 3. Let there not even be a hint of sexual morality among you. Colossians 3, 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to the earthly nature, sexual morality, impurity, lust. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. Oh, this is a lot of verses. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Hebrews thirteen four. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed be kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and the sexual immoral. Over and over and over. You say you're a Christian, cannot read those verses and go, okay, I know, I know, I know. God doesn't want me to sin. I know God doesn't want me to, to sleep. It's just so hard. I'm just going to go over there and watch a movie till like midnight. I'll be done by midnight, 1230. Okay. No, I know no one's there. No. As a Christian, you look at that and go, Jesus has saved me from that crap. He saved me from that junk, and I continue to go back and mix myself in it. It's awful, and that's not what Christians do. Now, you have two options. You have two options as a Christian to look at that. You can, you can listen to the verses I just read. You can ask for them afterwards, and I can give them to you, and you can go, I know God wants me to stop sinning. I know, I know God wants me to stop sinning. He doesn't like it. Or you can go in all of God's beauty and all of his poetry and all of his love, the same thing with the Sabbath, and all the might that is within him, he cares so much more about you than you care about yourself in that moment. And because he loves you, he gives you rules. Because he loves you, he gives you boundaries. And it's not because of um, the way that he has seen things go, although that is true. He has watched relationship after relationship go, well, we're going to get married. Yeah. Of course you are. Um, over and over, he's watched this and say, well, 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 and he's seen it turn. He's seen it tear up relationships. He's, he's watched it destroy um, uh, future marriages as you get married, that you bring these things into to your life. It's not just that, but it's the very way that he's wired the whole thing. The way that you are enjoying it is not the way that God has wired it. So because he loves you, he's put these boundaries around. So because you have faith in Jesus Christ, you willingly follow those boundaries. Uh, one of the most quoted C.S. Lewis, um, one of the most quoted C.S. Lewis quotes um, in most of his books, and most of you have probably heard this, and I was even hesitant to share it with you because it's so quoted, but um, for fear that some of you haven't heard it, it's so good. It's from his book called The Weight of Glory, which is an okay book, but um, uh, there's this phenomenal quote that he, he says in this that I think is very helpful for, for us when we begin to process the law of God and these things in which God has put before us to stop doing if you are a Christian. This is what it says. In the weight of glory, C.S. Lewis says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition with infinite joy when, when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. So C.S. Lewis would say it's like this, y'all. It's not that you can't control yourself. It's not that the greed that is welling up within you or the anger. It's not that it's the desire is too strong. It's that it's too weak. It's that that desire that you're, you're, you're giving in, and the classic example is you're giving in for hamburger when God has offered you steak. 
that your, your, your desire, you're taking it at half and God's saying it can be full. You're acting like a kid who's at a ghetto park in the mud and he's making mud pies and he's patting them together and his mom says, hey buddy, come on, let's go to the ocean and make sandcastles. And you go, why? I've got my mud. You've got your mud? Are, are you kidding me? There's a whole ocean out there. And you've got your mud? No, 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 no. God loves you, and he doesn't want to be a killjoy. He wants your joy. He wants you to be most joyful. He wants your joy to be full. He doesn't tell you to stop because he hates you. He tells you to stop because he loves you. And this is why God gives us laws, and this is why God gives us rules, and this is why God is so awesome. Because now we understand that if we follow Jesus Christ, we do things, and we do these things because we recognize the one we're doing them for loves us, and he cares deeply for our soul. And this is the same thing that Jesus basically uh, lays out, which I think is, is extremely helpful as we continue on our verse. So they're looking at Jesus as they're plucking the grain. They're saying, why are you doing what is not lawful? And Jesus answers as only Jesus could perfectly. And he gives an example of David. This is what he says in verse 25. And he said to them, have you never read that da- uh, what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him and how he entered the house of God in the time of Ebathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. So, so uh, Jesus recognized that these Pharisees who are following him around know the Old Testament. And there's this story in the Old Testament where David, if you don't know who David is, he's this shepherd boy who takes care of sheep, right? And God calls him to be king. The problem is the person who's the king currently looks at him and says, I don't want you to be king. His name is Saul. And so he's throwing spears at him. He's trying. Eventually, he begins to hunt David down. And and David has these men who are following, these men of valor, who are following David around. And they end up in this temple. And as they end up in the temple, they see this bread. And they've been wandering in caves, y'all. And it's not hungry like you and I are hungry. It's like starving hungry. Like, hey, me and my men haven't eaten in weeks we need food. And so they see this bread, and this bread that's sitting on the altar is called the bread of the presence. It's this offering given to God that only the Levites, the priests, can eat. And there are rules, endless amounts of rules about this silly loaf of bread, right? Okay, and there's this bread sitting there, and David looks at that bread and goes, that bread sure looks hungry. And the priest goes, this bread? Yeah, yeah that bread. Well, here's the... That bread is only for the priest, but the priest gives it to David. And Jesus' point is this. Are the laws put in place to give life or death? Like in this moment, this man is starving to death. He needs food. Why were the laws given? And Jesus goes, have you never read this story? Is it not lawful? Okay, and, and there's even more to it, um, which unfortunately I can't even unpack, but this is what he continues to say right after this in verse 27. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So, so you're processing the Sabbath, Pharisees. You're looking at it saying, why am I plucking heads of grain? You have made the process, essentially man to serve the process instead of the process to serve man. God gives man the Sabbath. We don't owe the Sabbath anything. Okay, I hope it's, we're starting to pick up like uh, uh, friction now. Like I hope that you're starting to see essentially what God or what Jesus is saying is saying. Listen, 
in the ends, God has given laws and rules because he loves you. He's given these things to serve you, not for you to serve them. That the Sabbath was given to you. You weren't given to the Sabbath. Now, this is a trick, right? Because I've seen this over and over. Right? I've sat with guys who are addicted to pornography. Or I've sat with guys who uh, cannot get it right in whatever greed, anger, whatever it is. And I sit across the table and, and they go, I can't get it right. I'm trying to, to do the right thing. I'm trying to stop sinning. And their motive may be absolutely pure, but their actions are wrong. Because what's happening is, give me some grace here, the, 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 the reason that this is wrong and what's taking place is they're focusing on getting it right instead of focusing on the one who has gotten it right. And what I mean by that, the difference may be very subtle, but in one moment you're doing it um, to get God, but the other moment you're doing it because you have him. So instead of, I need to stop doing, I need to stop doing, I need to stop doing, man, just get in your word. Read your word and pray and be with him, and spend time with him, and seek him, and long for him, right, last week, and grope for him, and go after him. And then as you continue to do that, the fruits of the Spirit will be love, they will be joy, they will be patience, and they will be self-control. That as you continue to go after and focus on him, instead of focusing on all the things that you can't get right, you will eventually get it right. And so the Sabbath has been given to man As a gift, we should not try to conquer the Sabbath, but we should rest in in what God has given us. The perfect example is if you've never seen an old movie uh, called Chariots of Fire. Um, It takes place um, by a guy, uh, uh, there's two racers in it. They run the 100 meters, right? And they're they're, um, a guy named Abrahams and Liddell, Little, um, I think it is. I haven't seen the movie in forever. I'm thinking of this on the spot. But um, these two guys are are, uh, running, are are racers, and, and Little is a Christian. And it takes place in the Olympics in 1924 in Paris. And there's two really great quotes. At one point, Abraham, uh, Abraham's is talking to uh, Little and he says, man, I've got 10 seconds to justify my existence. When I run, I've got these 10 seconds to justify my existence. And, and uh, later, Little's talking to his uh, sister and he says, I feel like God has given me the ability to run fast. And when I run fast, I feel his pleasure shining down on me. See, like, both people are doing the exact same thing, but one is doing it because he needs to have his identity in it. He needs to get it right. But the other one is doing it because his identity is already found in the one who's gotten it right. And the difference may be oh so subtle, but it's big time. So we would focus on Jesus. We would make it about Jesus. Now, um, the, the, the next part of this, I think, is um, beautiful because in verse 28, it says this. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So let's talk about this. Um, this has been a lot, I know. Um, and we still have a whole other section, right? So we're going to be here a while. Um, so here, here's this, here's this uh, uh, next phrase where Jesus says, hey, listen, um, it's not just that, but, but I am Lord over the Sabbath. Um, and this is found perfectly in the book of Hebrews. If you ever want to read it, Hebrews chapters one through four, where it essentially talks about the Israelites wandering around in the desert because they never trusted in Jesus and they never, or they never trusted in God, Jehovah, never had faith in Jehovah. And because they didn't, and Hebrews uh, 11 or 311, I believe is the, the verse it says, and so they never came into the Lord's rest. And then you get to chapter four and he pleads with us. The writer of Hebrews pleads with us and says, Please don't make the same mistake. Jesus is the rest. Jesus is the ultimate rest. 
For you and for me, when we begin to talk about getting rules and laws right, listen, all that aside, Jesus is even Lord of the Sabbath. It's in him that we don't just temporarily uh, rest. It's in him that we eternally find rest. And he pleads with us that we would not get this wrong. And then he, he gives, um, or Mark gives us a perfect example to see how this is played out. In verse 1 of chapter 3, he says this, Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus, the Pharisees, to see whether he, was, uh, he would heal them, healed him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill it? But they were silent. And he looked around at them, with anger, grieved at the hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. So now Jesus is in a synagogue. The Pharisees continue to be his lackeys, and as they, they follow him around, Jesus is sitting in the synagogue, and there's this dude coming in. He has this withered hand, and this guy wants his hand to not be withered anymore. And so Jesus is looking at this man. The Pharisees are looking at this man and looking at Jesus, and the Pharisees are seeing if he's going to heal because it's the Sabbath to heal someone is a lot of work, right? Okay, so to heal him, to heal this man's hand would be work on the Sabbath. And he looks at the Pharisees, puts his hand on the shoulder and says, is it right or is it lawful for, for me to heal this dude? Because should we, we give life or should we provide death? And matter of fact, in Matthew 12, which is a parallel to this verse, he asks a further question. How many of you guys, if you had a sheep fall into a gutter or fall into a pit, would not work to get that sheep out? Tell me in that moment you would not work to rescue that sheep out of there. And he looks at the man, he says, dude, be healed. And, and, and the Pharisees don't like that. I mean, he's continued to corner them over and over, but his point is the same, right? That he has given the law to bring life, not to death. My prayer is that you, that you would not be so tied up um, in getting it right Right? Like, like you would recognize that the, the, the true rhythm of a Christian is to understand that you can't get it right and you're saved by grace. I know, I say it every week. You're saved by grace and there's nothing you can do and no movies. and No, no listen, you're saved by Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. But because that is a reality, he gives us laws because he loves us and we follow those laws not because we have to, but because we want to. Because we recognize the same God who saved us in love continues to sanctify us in love, continues to to move us in love, continues to bring us back to him in love. And so he looks at this withered man, and unfortunately for us, we we miss the point that we continue to have withered hands. We continue to get tied up in in, in our religiousness. We continue to get tied up in getting it right that we miss the whole point that there's death about us and we smell terrible because we continue uh, to go towards outsiders and and, uh, present to them religiousness. And God says, that's not why I've given the law. Now, the very last verse um, sums up how how we'll close in in its poetry because when we talk about this, there's inevitably two groups that are going to get upset. There's going to be those who are the Pharisees in the room who say, no, 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 no. Yes, you're saved by grace, but you need to be circumcised. No, no, yeah, yeah. Okay, yes, God saves us, but you need to get it right. You you need to get it right. And the truth is, like, you're, you're free to do whatever you want as a Christian. You are. Like, man, read 1 and 2 Corinthians. You are free to do whatever you want. But a real Christian won't do whatever he wants or what she wants. So you may be free to do that. But the Pharisees go, no, no, there's a lot of have-tos. 
And then there's this other group that the Pharisees in this moment team up with for our last verse, isn't it? The Pharisees and the Herodians got together and they tried to figure out a way to destroy him. Because the other group is the Herodians. And the Herodians are the epitome of licentiousness. They have a license to do whatever they want. They drink, they eat, for tomorrow we die. Do whatever you want, sleep around. They are the epitome of hedonism. And the hedonists, the one who say, there are no rules. God loves me for who I am. I'm a good person occasionally. I, 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 yeah, but I want to do what I want to do. And the Pharisees who say, no, 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 no. We, we avoid those things. There are rules to these things. We need to get it right. Both groups hate Jesus. They hate Jesus so much so that they want to destroy him. And my prayer is that we would understand that we are the Pharisees and we are the Herodians. That as one nail was put, nail was put into his hand, it was because of your damnable good works. God, it's not you getting it right, man. It's not you getting it right. It's not you getting it right. Tim Keller would say that we, as we come to God, we also have to repent of all the right things we've done for the wrong reasons. It's not you getting it right. And your legalism, your dependence on your macho, um, self-centered, self-righteous self in these moments is one of the reasons that Jesus' hands were put on the cross. But so is the fact that you continue to fondle the things that Jesus dies for. So is the fact that you continue to go to his house or her house. So is the fact that you steal from your company, that you're a jerk to your wife. So is the fact that you over and over yell at your kids and yell at your kids, and yell at your kids, and yell at your kids, and you can't get it right. So is the fact that you sleep around. So is the fact that you, in your worst moments, want nothing to do with God. In this moment, the Pharisees and the Herodians were the ones who destroyed Jesus. This is a reflection of our heart. The prayer is that we would stop, and we would be still, and we would not focus on our Phariseeism and our licentiousness, but we would focus on Jesus. We would be with Jesus and we would understand that, man, it's not our good works and it's not our terrible things that keep us from him. But both of these things are at odds with the gospel and we would focus on the gospel that we would keep our mind straight on him, on who he is and what he has done. That's what Redemption Peoria is about. That is what Christians are about. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Um, we're grateful for your word. This is a, a, Holy Spirit, this is a complicated text. And I know I didn't do justice for us as a congregation to be able to chat about it. Um, but I pray we would recognize that um, you've given the Sabbath or you've given laws to give life, not to bring death. That we would, we would want to do works, not because we have to, but because we want to. Holy Spirit, remind us, as you tell us in John 14, that if we love you, we will follow your commandments and that our joy would be full. My prayer is that we would spend immense amount of times with you, Jesus, that we would become more like you, Jesus. We thank you that it's through your one sacrifice you made us perfect forever, even though we are being sanctified. We're grateful for that. We thank you, God, for your text that's um, 
you showed us your power, not just healing the withered hand, but that this is a great symbol for us, that we would not continue to walk in brokenness and not even look to our neighbors because we only do church on Sundays, that we would not separate days. There would no be legalism in our hearts. We would not uh, create dichotomies. I pray that you would do what you do in your word. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.